Welcome to Malcolm Reed's How to Barbecue Right, a podcast where we talk about barbecue, share recipes, and discuss all things delicious. And now, here's your host, Malcolm and Rochelle Reed. Hey, welcome back to the How to Barbecue Right podcast. I'm your host, Malcolm Reed. As always, I'm joined by my lovely and talented co-host, Miss <laughs> Southern Shell herself. Rochelle, how you doing today? I'm doing great, Malk. How about yourself? I'm fantastic. Had a good week. We've done some good recipes. Had somebody come in and teach me a thing or two, fresh off a contest, getting ready to do a little catering party here at the house for her son's uh, baseball team tomorrow. So I wouldn't been- call it a catering party. It's just... I'm not just going to throw some pulled pork out so you're have at it. i got to do it up. Yeah, that's true. You know when you're coming here, you're not getting some pulled pork on a... On an old on stale bond? Yeah. <laughs> no, we're going to do it up tomorrow. But what are we going to talk about today, Shell? Well, I thought we'd start off talking about the tri-tip, the recipe this week. I guess the main recipe. We put out two videos this week. Um, Kendall Adair from Smoked and Spice came over did a guest pitmaster video series with us and he wanted to do lobster mac and cheese and tri-tip. So we did two different videos there. One's like a main course. One's a quick side. Yeah. But I, I would say that lobster mac and cheese could be a main course. Yeah, too. It could. <laughs> so which For one sure. are you going to talk about first? The tri that Everybody likes to meet. I'm talk yeah. about the tri-tip first. You know, tri-tip is a really, really good cut of meat that not a lot of people know about. If you're not from, California, you're not used to seeing it all the time. I mean, it's something they made it famous over there just because I guess it's um, an easy cut to grill. And typically, that's how you see people prepare it. You know, they have the Santa Maria style of cooking where you have the, the grate that you can raise and lower above the fire. And most of the time, you know, that's how you cook a tri-tip. You just get it. It's a piece of the sirloin. And they call it the tip because the tri-tip because it kind of comes down on the bottom portion of the, the sirloin roast and butchers cut it off. And it kind of looks like a triangle or, you know, yeah. the tip of the roast. It kind of looks like a boomerang to me. It kind of does. Big juicy you know? meat boomerang. <laughs> and they're typically, you know, two or three pounds, somewhere in that ballpark. Most of the time, or um, you know, in most parts of the country, they grind that up in the ground sirloin. People don't even buy it as a roast. But now, I guess, because of YouTube, because of, you know, barbecue videos and forums and, and the Internet, people are, you know, it's the word spreading about tri-tip, and you're starting to see it in more places. Or I know a lot of people around here, we ask our butchers for it, and they'll give it to us. And they're like, why do you want that? Or they can't, they couldn't put it out in a meat case and sell it to the general public here in the South. They can special order but, it for but they, yeah, and I mean, you know, in the one we had um, – Matt over at Matador Prime Meat, uh, Prime, Matador Prime, Prime Steak. Steak. Yeah, I got to get that right. <laughs> he sent, you know, he's been sending me some beef to try out. and I, It's you been know, really, really good beef. I haven't had anything bad from it. Yeah. I'm telling you, that, that stuff is quality and not taking anything away from Kendall because he can flat cook and he's beat me in a tri-tip contest before. But that Matador Prime tri-tip was awesome in itself. Yeah. You know, several people um, commented that y'all didn't trim that bottom fat you know they said that was gross and you got to get that off but i got disagree man i'll tell you what that bottom fat was delicious because you know and i never i've never you know the tri-tips i've got in the past where i've ordered them i've actually actually got my butcher to source them uh, which is hard to do Mm -hmm. around here but they've always been come trimmed you know they haven't had yeah they're real lean not a lot of fat on them this tri-tip had some marbling it was i mean it's like a good 
kind of like a good brisket that was way more tender that you could cook on the rare side and it would just melt in your mouth. And I think, you know, from now on, I'm looking for ones with that fat cap. I want a quarter inch trim on it. A, because it helps uh, slow the meat down. It kind of protects it just like the fat cap on a brisket when you're doing a reverse sear like that. And then when we seared it off or when Kendall put it on the grill grates over those hot coals, that fat got crispy mm-hmm. and, it, and it melted and it didn't, it didn't burn. I mean, because it, it went down long enough, you know, and it was only like four minutes on the fat side total. And man, the fat just went with the meat so well. And you know, when we tri- when he cut it up, I was like, yeah, we're probably going to cut that fat off until I tried a piece of it. And it's like, man, just think of, to it's me, kind of like prime rib to me. That's exactly what I was fixing to say. Just think of the best prime rib you've had, that kind of texture, but it was tri-tip. Yeah. Now, the seasons and all that. prime rib fat. Like, yeah. really delicious. Melt in your mouth mm-hmm. fat. Yeah, that's kind of what it was. And that was surprising. That was real surprising. Um, the, well, let's talk about the technique. So, instead of doing the traditional grilling way, how you normally would have tri-tip, and, and that's what most people do. They kind of treat them like a steak. They'll put them over some hot coals, and then they may slow them down a little bit to get it to their desired doneness. But that's traditionally how you would cook a tri-tip. That's kind of Santa Maria. Yeah, just, you're just kind of grilling it. That's how you know most people in California that I know they cook them. They, they just treat it like another steak. But the reverse sear is kind of a way to slow that whole process down, to really watch the internal temperature in the meat, to put some smoke on it, and really get an even cook all the way through. So the reverse sear is a two-step process. The first part is the low and slow part. And that's where, you know, you're typically below 300 degrees on a smoker. Um, You know, you season it up however you want. Kendall was supposed to be showing me the way he beat me in a contest, but he used my stuff, and I don't think he really did that. (laughs) But, hey, I went with it. So we're getting it all seasoned up. He did do a little salt cure. And I noticed that just reading some of those comments that, uh, people said that wasn't long enough in the salt cure. Believe me, that was long enough. Yeah. I'm, I've done, I, I mean, I've done them longer. We've tried that with ribeyes. So yeah, I've done, I've ruined, I'm talking about flat out messed up some ribeyes going longer than 30 minutes with, a, with you know, salt on it. Now. Or using too much salt. Or using too much. Because, I mean, you know, I was, when you say heavy salt, I'm using, you know, a cup mm-hmm. to one steak. Well, that may have been too much. Because, I mean, Kendall, he said he went heavy on it. It didn't look as heavy as I was yeah. in the past. But it does, he is right when it, he says it starts drawing out some of the, the moisture in the steak. It changes the outside of it. It starts making it tender because as that salt's working on it, it's pulling, st- it's pulling moisture out and pulling that salt flavor in. And you can go too far. It can get salty on it. Yeah. A bigger cut, the bigger the cut, the longer you can go in the, you know, the salt. But, I mean, it was eight to ten minutes final. That, uh, I think it was. Yeah. And we I probably mean, ended up going more like 12 or so. Well, by the time, you know, we got to talking and staging and everything yeah. else and it probably, I mean, we didn't set a timer. We just kind of guessed it, you know. But, so that's the reverse sear part. Seasoned it, got it on the pit. Took he about, put it on the Traeger. Yeah, he put it on Traeger at 275. You could have done that on any kind of grill set up for indirect heat. I mean, it would have been excellent on the drum. It would have worked on, you know, a big smoker. It would work on a Weber set up, you know, with water, a little drip pan on one side and coals on the other. It doesn't matter as long as it's just not direct heat and it's below 300. Would it have worked at 225? Yeah, it's going to take a little longer to get to 115. But that was the whole key. We want to take it up to where it's about 115 internal because it's before, about 10 degrees before you want the final temp. If you're a medium person, you know, go and take it up to 125 and then cook it to 135 on the grill. 
So it's about 10 degrees before you want to final target Tim is where you're going to take it off at. Then you get your separate grill set up for direct heat. This is the second half of the reverse sear. This is the sear part. The reverse, think of as the smoke, the sear, <laughs> the hot part. So that's where you get the marks. And then it was just as simple as getting your grill grates hot on the PK360. I mean, the now, grill grates are key to get those, those To get those marks, marks. they are. They, they just cook even. Man, I love those grill grates. And they, um, so, he, so he put them down. It was like two minutes. He does a flip in two minutes, and then he turns on the next and flips back and forth. And that's something I usually don't do. I yeah. usually just do them all on the same side. I get my marks right on one side, get my marks right on the back side, and then roll. I thought that well, was interesting how he did it, and it gave him great marks. Oh, yeah, they look beautiful. Yeah. And then, you know, they checked the, checked the temp with the thermo, uh, thermopin. was looking for 125. Now, Tri-tip's one of those things where, you know, in the center, if you cook it to your desired doneness, out towards the edge, it's going to be a little over. It's just, that's part of it because it's a good-sized roast. I mean, three-pound roast is pretty good size. You can get a lot of servings out of it. If you got people that like it, um, you know, more done, give them some of the tip out there. If, if you like people that like it more rare, they're right in the center. That's kind of how I've always done it. Um, you want to be sure whenever you're slicing tri-tip to watch how that grain's running because that's important. Um, you know, Kendall did a pretty good job. <laughs> I don't think he paid real close attention. I think the camera might have had him, uh, you know, a little nervous or something because he kind of just went straight down the tri-tip. And you really... Really, the way I do it, it's kind of like an arch cut on tri-tip. And you just kind of follow that grain. And if you've not done it, I mean, that, that, that roast is a its a little strange because of the way the muscles run together there. It's almost like it's two different muscles that run together. So one of them's going one way, one's going the other. And so you just need to follow that. But, hey, I'll tell you what. I, didn't, I mean, even though his a little of it got with the grain, it was still tender as it can mm-hmm. be. Um, one thing that he did that we've never done before is when he pulled it off, he wrapped it in butcher paper. He put a little AP on it, pulled it off, put an AP on it, wrapped it in butcher paper for the rest. And I thought that was a pretty interesting idea. Yeah. Yeah. It held it. I mean, it still kept it, you know, it didn't steam it because a lot of times you put something in full, it'll steam it more. The butcher paper absorbs some of that moisture that's coming out. And that was good. I mean, that was, I'm I'm probably going to do that. Yeah. Just because it preserves the outside of it. In the bark, or you know, the, the crusty bits, yeah, kind of hold their integrity. It was a great idea for yeah. beef, yeah. yeah. And it looked cool because he used a bunch of paper on camera, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> we don't sell a bunch of paper, <laughs> but just uh, use it. <laughs> well, people always ask where you get your butcher paper, and they're always saying, Can I use parchment paper? Can I use wax paper, white, you know, bleached butcher paper? And uh, so, I answer that question real quick. Well. I get mine from Amazon, and it's called either red or peach butcher paper. So I see it unwaxed. That's the whole key it's to it. Food grade, yeah, food grade parchment paper. I mean, if, if it's food grade parchment paper, yeah, I don't see why it wouldn't work. It's not waxed. I mean, it's just it's just paper too. It just take might take more of it. Um, but butcher paper's you want fairly un- thick. Yeah, you it's want not, unbleached, you know, unwaxed, untreated. Yeah, I mean, I don't paper. know. Yeah, that's what I would use too. I guess that natural, the red or the the brown butcher paper is more natural. That's all I've seen. I've never never tried to do on on you know what with the waxed uh, unwaxed white. I've Someone asked, could they use uh, paper grocery bags? No, <laughs> don't do that. That's not food grade. Yeah. I don't want to make those out of. Them. <laughs> I figured that would disintegrate anyway. Yeah, yeah they but, don't do uh, too well once you get them wet. <laughs> <laughs> but the tri tip was delicious. It was it really, really good, really, really good. And then it, so Kendall also did. 
that lobster mac and cheese kind of to go with it as mm-hmm. a side. And that really was a main dish. And he brought, was a pound and a half of tails for that recipe. It's five. I mean, they look, they probably look bigger on camera. They were kind of small tails. Yeah. I mean, they were just the kind you get at the supermarket. We're not, you know, in lobster country, right? It means we didn't have access to fresh, you know, really good lobster. That's just what, that's what we have. Yeah. So those came from Kroger. And it was, you know, kind of basic mac and cheese. He used some different cheeses. That was, you know, the Gruyere in it really went nice. Yeah. With, with, with the lobster. Um, I'd like to see that recipe done with crawfish. That's what I think, talking about. Yeah, we, we actually talked about this. Like, man, this would, you know, spice it up. Because, I mean, don't get me wrong. Lobster's great. It's a little on the expensive side, you know, to just mm. for everybody to get. I mean, I think, actually, I saw the package, and it was like $24 for those five tails. So, you know, five bucks a tail right at, something like that. Yeah. It's not too bad. For making for a side dish, it's kind of high. I mean that's a that's something that's not something you're just gonna bang out on a Tuesday. <laughs> I mean you're gonna make I mean wrong. You're, yeah. gonna, you're gonna make that for something special. If you got a nice steak or you and you want you know you want a little something fancier, yeah. I would say. But you or, could use like you said, crawfish, you could use shrimp. Yeah, you could use yeah. man, you can make it any kind of seafood really good. Crab. Good yeah. Crab would go good in it. Um the cheese sauce is what made them. It's the cheese sauce was really good. Yeah, yeah. Boil macaroni noodles. I mean yeah. how easy is that? But you can build that cheese sauce. And anytime you're putting a whole plate of cheese in a sauce like that, you know it's going to be good. Yeah. And he topped it just with some panko and some extra cheese on top, mm-hmm. which was great. Cooked it on the Traeger. Um, that was, I think he cooked that one at 300. And it took, you know, to brown up really nice. It was more like, you know, 30, 35 minutes. I think that it, you could cook that in the oven. It don't, you don't have to put it on grill. Oh, yeah. You can I mean, get it all of it. Yeah, all, yeah, all of it. I mean, Inside. You can cook on any grill. Just, I mean, you don't have to cook it on a Traeger or, you know, pellet grill only. Do those cook good for casseroles and stuff like that? Heck, yeah, they do because they hold such a good temperature. But the key is getting that temp cranked up enough to brown the top of it. Did that. Yeah. If I was going to uh, recreate that recipe. You know, if you, want, yeah, if you wanted to brown it yourself, if you wanted to do that on a smoker, say you're running at 275, Increase your time a little bit and get you one of those little creme brulee torches and hit the top of it just to brown it right before you serve it. It would work. Yeah. If I was going to recreate that recipe and do it kind of inside, I would take some shrimp, season them really good with some Creole seasonings, saute them in a pan, add that to the cheese sauce. And we cooked a lot of noodles for this recipe to make sure we had enough. And Kendall used them all. And I think that if you use a few less noodles, I like my sauce to noodle ratio to be a little up higher. Well, you're a mac and cheese expert. I mean, <laughs> for real, people think, well, you know, they want to know your mac and cheese recipe or when you make it for for our family get-togethers or we have friends over or whatever, they love the mac and cheese and you're just excellent. Your recipe that you have is kind of what I based that smoked mac and cheese on that I did yeah, years it ago. Is. And that that's a heck of a mac and cheese. But, but to me, you know, it starts with that cheese sauce. You've got to have a good cheese sauce, and you got to get and it. Was a very good. I like my mac and cheese more on the runnier side. Yeah. I don't know, maybe I'm weird like that. I just like. It to I be, don't like it runny. I want it creamy. Yeah, I mean, yeah. you know, I guess there's a fine line. I grew up on the box mac and cheese. Oh yeah, that's I mean. I can take a box macaroni and cheese and give you something special. <laughs> you I, tune it up. <laughs> I can tune it up. I can I can do macaroni and yeah. cheese for you different. Ways. Oh, we didn't even have the blue box. We had a Bronco. Mac and cheese. That was cheap stuff. That's what I grew up on. But that that recipe was really good. I mean, you know, cooked in a Dutch oven always works well. Yeah. They radiate so much good heat that it just makes a casserole or anything you put in it like that good. Um, 
The topping was simple panko. That's always I like the topping I did with the, when the I bacon. Did the bacon and yeah, that was man, that, that would really go really good. well Heck on yeah. that lobster mac. You could combine. You could add bacon to that recipe easily. Well, um, do you enjoy having other pitmasters on? I love it. It is fun. You know, it's it, it's different for me because I get to ask questions and I get to be on the other side, kind of learning something. I yeah. mean, I like to see how other people cook. I get tired of the same old thing, so I'm not, you know. <clears throat> Excuse me, got something in my throat. <laughs> but I like I like um, you know a different format or having somebody else come in and do it with me. I think it. I think it's really, up a yeah, bit. it's interesting to me that we've had what three so far. Mm-hmm. Mark, we'll probably do two more yeah, this year. Lambert, Shane, and and Kendall. Mm-hmm. I know Heath wants to come do. I'm getting now that we've done a few. Everybody said, "Man, let me come do one. Let me come do one." <laughs> but, but yeah, I mean, I, hey, I'm down, man. Anytime, I mean, anytime I can learn something. Heck yeah, I want to, somebody to teach me a recipe. Well, this past weekend we spent in. Glasgow, Kentucky. Glasgow, Kentucky. Yeah, it's not gal. It's go. I get corrected on that. I don't know how many times. <laughs> it's Glasgow, like Scotland or whatever. Yeah. <laughs> so I was told me, like, okay, wherever that is. <laughs> but we went, that's where it's named after. We went up to Rib Liquors. Um, Buddy Dwayne Pointer's got an awesome restaurant up there in Glasgow. And he put and on a heck of a contest. Man, it was a state contest. Uh, they ever did a wing category. I had to do the wings. But the highlight of that trip was getting to hang out there. At a barbecue joint, it was, I mean, I wasn't expecting it. I was expecting a traditional, you know, go there, order some barbecue, yeah. and that's about it. It shuts down, you know, 9 o'clock. No, after, <laughs> when it starts getting dark, or, you know, evening time, late afternoon, his place gets jumping. He, he has bands come in. I mean, the crowd turned from, like, a, you know, barbecue-eating-dinner crowd to, like, a bar almost atmosphere. Mm-hmm. I mean, it was cool because his place is, it's like a, I guess it's best to describe it as kind of a garage, like if you think of a mecha- mechanics garage slash barbecue shack, but it's not really a shack because it's, it's all nice. new stuff, yeah. all decorated <laughs> up, and it's got one of those, uh, what's that fan called in there? It's like 18, big ass fan. Yeah, big ass fan. <laughs> it's like an 18 foot span on a, on a fan that circulates air, and he's got, not only does he do barbecue, he's got like a brick, doing brick oven pizzas in there. Full stage set up, so he had some awesome music. Full bar. And the drinks were flowing. Everybody's hanging out outside because it's opened up enough to where there's not a bad place to hang out. You can hear all the music wherever you are. You know, if you want to have a conversation, you sit outside. If you want to be more into the band, you go inside. Yeah. But it's just, it's kind of like set up like communal tables where it's just long rows of um, tables, tables and chairs, but everybody kind of sits there together. Man, it was a good atmosphere. Yeah. Well, if there's kids out playing in the little grass yeah, area, yeah. You know? oh yeah, it wasn't like a a, a rough crowd, or anything. <laughs> but it was like I guess that area is a it's kind of a tourist destination for going to a big lake up there. It seemed like people were coming up there to spend time at the lake on the weekend, mm-hmm. and so I guess it just packs his place out. He's in a prime location. Food was excellent. Yeah. Um, so let's talk about what we got there. Friday, we got there Friday morning. Well, we left Friday morning, got there about Friday lunch. Yeah, right after lunch. We missed the lunch crowd. And we pretty much ordered one of everything. We tried. <laughs> well, we had a big combo that the, uh, Mark and Emily ordered. It was like, I forget what it was, the combo was called, but it had brisket, it had smoked sausage, it had chicken, it had pulled pork, it had ribs. It come with like three sides. And so we ordered, I ordered a pound of wings. We got some. Uh, pork rinds. We got a um, fried hog sandwich. Fried hog sandwich. That 
The fried hog sandwich. Let's talk about that first. Yeah. That was good. He took a, a piece of pork tenderloin and ran it through one of those t- meat tenderizers three times. So no, I thought he said more than that. I don't know. I mean, it was it was it was a lot of times. I thought he said seven. It might have been. It may have been seven <laughs> times ran. He ran but what he it tenderized did, it. it. I mean, it tenderized it, it flattened it out, but it spread it out. So it took a normal sized piece of tenderloin and then it made it out into this big, you know piece of pork that was just kind of pancake shape. I mean, you think it's pretty big. Yeah. It's a big sandwich. And they battered that in panko, and then they deep fry it, and they serve it. It's almost like a BLT. They put bacon on it, lettuce on it, tomatoes on it. Well, they call uh, it a BLT sauce. Is that what it is? Yeah. A BLT sauce? Man, it was great. It was. Because it was something different you expect at a barbecue restaurant. Um, the other unique thing that we had there was uh, in that region of Kentucky, they do sliced pork. And so what they do is if you take a pork steak, uh, cut in half, because it was a thin slice of pork steak. I mean, I'm talking maybe a quarter-inch slices. And they throw them on like a char griller, and they have what they call a Kentucky mop. It's like this spicy, uh, buttery, had some lard in it, cayenne pepper, vinegar mixture that you would mop hogs with. That's what what it reminded me of, hog mopping sauce. And so they throw those little thin pork steaks on the grill, those slices of pork butt, or pork shoulder, they call it. It's really just pork butt. But And they just mop it continuously until it cooks, and they don't do it really high heat. It's not like you're trying to sear or grill it, but it's you know it's slowly cooking, and it's absorbing that flavor. And it was unique. You know? I mean, it was, you know. It was really good. Yeah. It was one of my favorites on the menu. It was, it was something different. But then you serve it with, so you get it after they, you know, they get it off the grill, and you can get it sprinkled, you can get it uh, dipped, or you can just get it naked. Now, sprinkled is if you like a little spice. Dip, it's gonna light your ass up. <laughs> this, that stuff is hot. What they put I me? Mean, I guess it's got a ton of cayenne pepper. In it. But it was good because we were dipping everything in it. Yeah, so they also he served us a little it. cup of yeah, the dip. They served it yeah. with an extra little pint container of it, and so we were dipping wings in it. We were dipping pork <laughs> in it. Heck, I even dipped some of the pizza in it. It was good on everything. It was really good on everything. Um, what was the other one he did uh, for an appetizer? He brought out. He called it uh, redneck sushi. But it was a, it's like a cracker, piece of smoked sausage, topped with some pimento cheese and like a jalapeno. Yeah. <laughs> so it looked like a little roll stacked up there. And that was good. That was really good. Yeah, that's my language right there. Of course, you know the brisket, the pulled pork, His the ribs, sides were all that. Excellent. You know that, that was the, the the meat was good. Yeah. But the sides were the star of the show for yeah. me because I mean, <laughs> target grains. Oh, it was collard greens. Collard greens. Yeah, that's what that's what they asked us when we got there. Do y'all like collard greens? And I was like, Do I? <laughs> From Mississippi, look at it. You think I like? You think I like greens? Do y'all know how to cook greens? That's the question. And so his um, the manager there is like, Oh yeah, we got some really good ones. They're fresh. They got this guy. What did they say his name was? Big Matt or something like that. This big guy that runs the back kitchen or whatever. He does all the sides for them. And man, I'm telling you what, it was some it was some down south. It was good. Sides. It was really I mean, good. Greens was hitting. The mac and cheese there was hitting. They had a hash brown casserole buttered in Cracker Barrel. They had a corn casserole. Corn casserole. The green beans. I mean, they just come out the gate with all these sides of the barbecue shack on the side of the highway. <laughs> I was like, man, Wayne, I see why this place gets packed. Because their food's good. And uh, that you can order uh, pork rinds. And they fry them to order. Yep. So when you get them, they're still popping and hot. 
Like seraphim with the side of like some ranch, ranch dipping sauce. <laughs> yeah. It's more than just ranch. It's like maybe Chipotle or something. I was I've never thought about dipping my pork rinds in anything, but I uh, love it. Hey, it's good, yeah. <laughs> and then top that off, it brick oven pizzas. Yeah, the pizzas are and, excellent. Yeah, so and that was man, I didn't. I didn't I, we had two or three kinds of pizza. We were there for two days. And then that was the only, we only place. Meals yeah, there. we had three meals there. So. <laughs> of course, and then everybody was ordering something different and bring it out and try it. Yeah. So. It was good, man. That was If you're ever in that part of Kentucky, which is just due east of Bowling Green, a uh, little town called Glasgow, y'all check check out Rib Liquor's Barbecue. And Dwayne's going to have um, some more steak events there. That one was so good. It drew 40 teams. Um, I finished 12th in it. I was, you know, I like to have been top 10. Hey, it was a good steak. Wayland. Finished seventh. It was with us. I thought he's uh, six. No, he's seventh. seventh yeah, uh, Mark Williams tenth. He was uh, bringing that grill grill. Kendall was second or third, mm-hmm. and Sarah was like six. So yeah. steak team cut up. You know, we, uh, Jay well, come in. He was fifteenth. I think Emily was not eighteenth or nineteenth. So we were all you know top twenty, better than half. So. I had a great time. I mean, that was one of the more fun steak contests. I can't wait to go back. We, yeah, we had I, fun. I felt like every few minutes you were either drinking or eating. No, it was, <laughs> yeah, I'm telling you what, it was best Yeah. We had, a, we had a good time. Drank a little too much, probably. Mm, you know, in Kentucky, you got to get on the garden a little. So. <laughs> well, so this week, I thought we'd talk about what happens when things don't go right. When you're cooking... And you just hit this point where you're like, oh, no, now what? It's hit the fan, right? Uh-huh. It's never really hit the fan. There's always a solution. You well, just may not know it. Yeah, when you're first learning how to cook, though. Yeah. Oh, no, believe me, I've been there. I've had, I've had that happen sometimes. So. Yeah. So what you got? What's some of the questions? Well, I thought about? I'd throw a scenario out at you, and you'd uh, give me a problem solver. Hey, I, I, that's what they call me, the problem. <laughs> that's exactly. <laughs> that's exactly what they call the, me. <laughs> <laughs> this is over there. It's called the old problem solver. So, start off. You just got a new cooker, and you can't get the temps to stabilize. It's either way too hot or way too low. What do you do? Well, anytime I get something new, I start playing with it without any food on it first. I'm going to fire it up several times just to see how it operates, to see, you know, what, what the vent control does, how it reacts to, you know, at certain temperatures, uh, how much fire I'm putting in it, um, how I'm adjusting the air. More than likely, if it's spiking or, or if it's running too low, it's an airflow problem somewhere. Either you're not getting enough air in the firebox or you're getting too much air in the firebox. Um, your coals can't breathe. So it really... Um, all those ups and downs when, on something new is just a matter of learning it. All cookers have it. You're gonna find it on everything. That you know, I mean, something. You gotta get to know your. You gotta cooker. get to know. Get to know it. You know, that's what we always say. Get to know that pit, and especially before going out and say spending a bunch of money on a brisket. Don't spend you know fifty, sixty bucks on a brisket. You know, brand new smoker, throw it on there, expect it. You know, to turn out good. I always say fire it up a few times, learn how the pit runs with nothing on it, then start out with something less expensive. I mean. Like chicken. chicken, pork loin, heck, even barbecue bologna is great. Learn to cook those. Those are shorter cook times. You can learn the cooker and how to control it. Then move on to, say, ribs and pork butt. And then once you finally get it down, you're getting into those long cooks with the pork butt, then do a brisket. That way you're not spending so much money on meat, messing anything up. By the time you get to the brisket, you've learned that pit. You know what it's going to do. 
And, you know, all it's, it's about hours in, clocking in, you know, learning how to do it. When you say fire it up without anything on it. That's empty. Yeah. Just, you know, just, just run it. You know? How long? Heck, I'd like to see how long it can go a lot of times. That's the first thing <laughs> you I just do. just spend a day. Yeah, well, well first, <laughs> you know, for real. Um, I want to fire it up, put a load of charcoal or whatever kind of fuel I'm using in it, and let that jerker run. See how long it takes to stabilize. See what it does if I do, you know, if I adjust the vents. If I got the exhaust, you know, quarter open, half open, wherever, am I getting enough air in it? Is it, you know, is it using a lot of charcoal? Uh, that's a lot of times, that's when I'm seasoning it too. I'll run it up, try to get it up to 300, 350, squirt the inside down with some uh, cooking spray or vegetable oil, let that season. And then I'll, you know, adjust it back, bring the tips down to 250, which is more like low and slow cooking, hold it there, see how it does there. I mean, that's, that's just how I learn to pit. And I suggest everybody do it. And that's part of it. It's fun, for one, because you have to play them, you know, with something new you've got and want to learn it. But it's not like, I'm. oh, i got to cook for 50 people. I need to cut this new pit. I'm gonna, I thought I might do brisket and ribs, you know. Here I go. Yeah. No, don't do that. So you're cooking a whole chicken. The thighs running about 180, and the breast is only 150. What do you do? Huh? What do you do? Well, it's, it's, it's probably... The easiest solution is that put a little foil around those dark meat areas, rotate that chicken to where it the breast is in the hotter part of the smoker or wherever your hot spot is. Because if it's cooking that uneven, you probably got the the back half, the dark meat, towards the heat a little more. It's probably as simple as that. And that's um, something you could probably catch earlier on. Oh, yeah. You, can, you should be able to. When you and, start but I, but I will say this. If my dark meat's getting up to 200 degrees, I don't care. If you ever If you've ever had chicken i mean they recommended eating at 175 of the dark meat but man it's great up around 200 and that's you know it's, it's juicy it comes right off the bone now you don't want to take your breast up that high as it's going to be you know dry he loses all of its moisture it's better at 162 right in that temp because when you take it off it's going to carry up to 165 or probably about 167 actually and then it'll be safe so that's kind of what i shoot for if I'm seeing, you know, 180 in my dark meat and 150 in my breast, I'm not panicking because I know I'm almost there. And the dark meat with just a little rotate or maybe a little loose tinning with foil is going to shield it a little bit. It's going to be perfect. When you said loose tinning with foil, you're talking about just grabbing a piece of foil? Yeah, just kind of putting it around the, the back half of the not chicken. Not tightly. Yeah, not tight. I just kind of, you know, drape it over and around the thighs and legs. As just it's kind sitting of there. shield it. Yep. And even if you say, if, even if you're doing a vertical chicken, you can do the same thing, just kind of drape it around it like it's a little cape. I mean, for real, I mean, it yeah. works. It works. So you're cooking and your temps start spiking. You're in the middle of a cook. Temps just won't, you can't get them to come down. What do you do? Easiest answer is take out some charcoal or take out some fuel. Nobody ever thinks about it. I don't know why. But the easiest thing to do is have your little shovel handy. You should always have that. You yeah. always have that. Bucket. Have your coal bucket. And then if, 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 you're, if your temps are constantly going through the roof, open the firebox door, take out some fuel. Next, if it's a smoker, you can't do that. Say if it's an egg or, you know, a pellet grill or something like that. If it's a pellet grill, you ought to be able to dial it down. It's more of a, you know, a problem. you got another problem if, it's, if it won't stay down. But on an egg, for example, or say a Weber Smoky Mountain or even a drum, uh, it's airflow. Restrict that airflow is going to drop it. So be careful, it'll drop it too much. Oh yeah, it it will too. You you mean you're gonna shut it off? You all, I mean, you can always burp the cooker, let some heat out, 
let that, you know, restrict the airflow to the firebox. That's going to drop the temp down and then let it slowly build up and stabilize. But if it's getting away from you, you know, you've, you've, you've got too much heat in it, too much fire in it somewhere. And that can be dangerous because if you've got a pit where grease builds up, that's where you start seeing those flash fires. So you got to watch it. You don't want to run it up, you know. You don't want to let it get away from you like this, especially when you, you, know, you think you're cooking 300 or 275 or wherever, and then it's staying 400. You yeah. Know, you got a problem. So it's getting close to party time or dinner time, and you're not close to being done. Man. This is really only true with bigger meat. Maybe yeah, ribs, and that's the worst, worst position to be in. That's <laughs> why, I mean, you know, and I get questions a lot ask a lot of times how long should I you know what time should I put something on because I got people coming I want to serve at this time. That and I've been in this I've been there. I've been there. You know, we were even at uh, here recently that I can think of we were up at Bristol, Tennessee cooking and we had some prime ribs that we were trying to get done and they just wouldn't get in there. So we cranked the pit up, you know, trying to push them. We moved them over to a pellet grill, trying to run it up and, you know, get them seared off and that started a big fire with all the fat cooking down. We had to get them off that. And it's, um, that's something that's, there's no good answer for. If I'm at home and I'm struggling like that, I can't get, you know, your, your pit's just not going to get it there. I've got the meat wrapped up, man, I wouldn't hesitate to go throw it in the oven to finish it. I mean, that's extreme case. I hate to do that, but if you're trying to get something done, you've got to push it. I mean, I mean, could you push it on your smoker? You can, you can get the tip. I wouldn't try to get it up higher than, you know, 325, 350. I don't like going. On a smoker, I don't like going to temps past that. Even on a pellet grill, just because they'll do it, I don't like to take them up there. You're gonna mess. You're gonna ruin the meat. More chances are at higher temps, you're gonna ruin it. So you're probably better off just telling folks, "Hey, you know, you, won't, you can't rush perfection." And I've done that too. You know, I mean, I know it's it's a bad thing and things didn't go exactly the way, but it the way you wanted. But it's not the end of the world. Yeah. If it's going to take a little bit more. You can always, if you don't already have it wrapped in full, you can wrap in full too. That helps yeah, speed a process. Man, that's, yeah, I mean, if you did, that's messed up all the way through. <laughs> <laughs> now, if you see you're running out of time, you don't have it wrapped, get it wrapped. That's going to push it. I mean, once you get all the, the, the heat trapped, moisture trapped, it's going, to, it's going to push it right through any stall and get it done. So. But that comes back to planning. You know, you wouldn't. If, if you think it, if you think about what you're cooking, you plan it out, you give yourself extra rest time, you will never have to worry about that. And, and it really only happens to me um, if I'm doing like a lot of chicken or something like, you know, something that's not, that, that really has to be cooked right before it's served. And that's where you get time crunches. Because when I do stuff like tomorrow, for instance, I'm going to fire up my little hickory, I'm going to cook some pork butts and probably about eight sides of ribs. I'm going to make sure I put those on way early enough and then hold them over. Um, you know, pork butts will hold half a day. Ribs will hold, you know, three or four hours, no problem. I mean, I'm not scared to hold them, you know, three or four hours. I, ideally, I'm pushing to get those done in a two-hour window. That way they've had a little rest, time for me to glaze and cut, and they're ready to serve. So it's all about, uh, you know, having that ideal time and work that you want to serve the meat, uh, building in some rest time, and working backwards to when you put it on. And I guarantee you, most of the time that that uh, people have trouble with it is the time to put it on is in the middle of the night or midnight, and nobody wants to stay up late. Man, if you're gonna be a pitmaster, you got to work them hours. That's pitmaster <laughs> hours. Yeah, that's when we're up doing our magic. You know, that's when you're putting it on, and everyone's wondering what the lights on, what all it's supposed for. Man, they sleeping. <laughs> we are cooking. That's how it goes. 
Well, the next question is... Have your party in the morning. <laughs> <laughs> what are you cooking after <laughs> It's nowhere close to party time, and your big mates are already done. Oh, man. You know, you already know the answer to this one. Hold them. I mean... You're good. You're yeah, golden. You're, you're golden. Yeah. <laughs> you, you couldn't be better. I'm telling you. But most people don't... Some people don't know about holding. Yeah. Well, I mean, a dry cooler is your friend. Um, you know, if you got some old towels or an old blanket or something to take up some space in that cooler, it helps. But typically, if I'm cooking, say you're cooking three or four pork butts or two pork butts, you throw them in a the cooler. Don't put them in the biggest big marine cooler you have with all that space. Get get the little, what's the Isla Breeze, the little that's $20 cooler from Walmart. Walmart you don't want one that's going to hold it super tight. We're not, we're not you know, holding beef and our yetis. That's going to continue to cook it. You want something to where it's going to hold it warm. You can burp it real easy, let some steam out, but it's going to keep it warm. And a, a pork butt, what it's going to do, so you run a pork butt up to about 200 degrees internal. That's, you know, a roundish target tip, 195, 200. Take it off, steam it out, let the steam out, put it in a cooler. If you left your probe thermometer in there, it's going to drop fairly quick to about 175-ish, 160, right in, in, in that range. I'm talking within a couple hours, but then for five or six hours, you can watch it and it's going to stay between 140 and 160 for a long, long time. That heat's built up, the cooler's insulated. And so it's going to hold it. And now it actually gets better, you know? Yeah. To me it does because it stops the cooking process and all that meat that you pushed out from, from, you know, the heat, moisture. moisture, all that soaking back in that meat. And it's just chilling out. When you break it up, it's going to be juicy. And it's, man, it's so good. I mean, I, I rest all my big meat two hours. I want to rest all the briskets and pork butts and shoulders, you know, even hog. I'll leave two hour rest. And then ribs, typically an hour and a half. I like to rest them. I mean, chicken is probably the one thing we don't rest. Yeah. I mean, Ten minutes if you do. And I wouldn't I wouldn't suggest cooler than it. Just, you know, when it comes off the grill, just let it hang out for a few minutes. But you need to be ready to serve it. But it's uh, it's a lot quicker cook time. You can predict that oh, a yeah. lot. Yeah, lot yeah. I mean, that's in that you can. You really can. So um, you're cooking, and your meat starts getting too dark. And, and a lot of times this happens with turkeys a oh, lot. Yeah. Well, aluminum foil is your friend. Um, that's and The reason why I say that is because you can tent with it. And that goes back to those thighs or legs getting ahead. You can do the same thing um, with aluminum foil. If you're starting to get dark and you, you're not ready to wrap, uh, you know, but you just want to kind of loosely cover it. That's what I would do. Now, most of the time, I'm cooking the color. So if my color starts getting there. It starts darkening up. Hey, man, I'm ready to wrap it up. But, like, you know, we don't wrap chickens or turkeys or anything like that, but we do tin them. Yeah. And it's just a shield. Think of it as a shield, just a little barrier. Will it keep it from getting overly dark? Oh, yeah. Can, yeah, stop that. I use a little cooking spray, drape a little foil over it, and then <laughs> come back. I mean, it's probably getting dark because you got it in an area that's a little bit too much heat right there for it. So you could rotate. You can also it. Think, yeah, rotate it. You can rotate. You can move it down a rack or something. You know, depending on your cooker. But but really, I'm thinking I'm, I'm thinking about cooking on one rack, kind of how people be cooking at home. So if they're doing it on an egg or a drum or something, um, you know, if it's starting to get dark on those, just use a little aluminum foil, build you a little shield because you still got some cooking to do, but you don't want to, you know. You don't, want it it yeah. you don't want it blight. We had one turkey one time. This has been years ago. You came up with the idea to do a beer can turkey. Oh, yeah. So you bought a fence post beer. You know, what do you call those? 
We call uh, them fence posts. I know that's not what they call them. <laughs> <laughs> that's what I've always called them. I don't know. What do you call them? 24-ounce beer? Yeah, the big beer cans. Yeah, the big ones. You need a big can for a turkey. big yeah. animal. And we... Uh, big bird. <laughs> you put, you put your turkey on there. We seasoned it up. Put it on the cooker. Went back. And it was black. Yeah. It didn't... I gotta redo that one. That was one that that was several years ago. We don't have too many recipes where we're like, oh, can't use that. Yeah. No. Do we even eat that turkey? Or we we did. It tasted really good. Uh, it was real juicy yeah. and delicious. It's we just couldn't use the footage. Like we got to that point and we're like, well, we're not gonna be making beer can turkey for our video this week. <laughs> that was one of the few ones yeah. that we actually I need like, to re- revisit that. Yeah. That was a pretty good idea to do. It looked cool sitting there. It did. And there's a little coat on a little fold. <laughs> Need to, uh, yeah, redo that one. So you're cooking and you can't get your temps up. You're just constantly fighting to get them up. You're in the middle of cooking meat on the grill. You probably, that's a, to me, that goes right to an airflow problem. If I know that I've got enough coals in there to get it hot, you know, the, the cooker should be reacting right because I've, I've cooked on it, I've learned that cooker, and then it's not coming up there, I've got a restriction somewhere. Either I've got too much meat on it to where the air is not flowing in the cook chamber to, you know, a smoker has to breathe. It has to have intake and exhaust to get out. And so either I've got too much, got it overloaded or I'm not getting air in it sufficiently or there's too much air blowing on it that's not really drawing right because that can happen too if you're facing in the wind and there's trying to force in there. So it might be something where you need to shield your firebox a little. You might, um, you know, to block the wind, you might need to, uh, check your vents out to make sure they're not clogged some kind of way. And easy way to do that. And, of course, if it's in your cook chamber, you ought to be able to see it or shovel out the coal. Don't let it just build up. If it's in your exhaust, you can run something down it, a dryer vent tool. I know everybody's probably seen those. like a long wire with a little bristly brush on the end. Those are good for running down a vent, uh, you know, exhaust pipes if you've got a smoker with a pipe. But um, it's it's all about airflow. I mean, the, the way smokers work is really simple, the science behind it. And I'm no scientist, <laughs> but, <laughs> but you know you need air for the fire to burn, and you need uh, you need flow through the cooker, and you need exhaust to get it out. It makes that draw, and that's how it works. So you've got somewhere along the way, if it's if it's running away from you like that, or if it's not um, getting enough heat to it, you're you know it's you're losing it somewhere. Could be that your doors aren't sealed up. There's several things you could troubleshoot on it, but that's that's where I would start. So I mean, other than that. Um, that's going to be your main reasons. Yeah. And it's really a little problem solving at that yeah, point. Yeah. You just got to realize that it requires that airflow. Oh, yeah. 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 That's for sure. Um, you wrap your shoulder or put port butt, put it back on the smoker. We get this question a lot. So you have a big cut of meat, you wrap it up, you put it back on the smoker, and your inner internal temps just stop climbing. Well, they're always going to do that to a point because you've taken it out. Even though you've done it fast, you can. It still takes several minutes. Um what you probably don't realize is you've left that cooker open and the temp on it's went down, you know, so you got to bring it back up. And then it just takes a little bit for the, the, the meat to start climbing. I mean, what what's happening, and this goes back to some science of meat and all that, which <laughs> don't quote me on this, but the process is denaturing the cells of whatever meat you're cooking, pushing the moisture out. Um, it starts with the, you know, the collagen, the fatty, the, the fattiness of the meat. That starts breaking down first. When you get to a point, um, 
to where the protein's breaking down, it's way up high. But the whole part is the process is breaking that down and up the meat. And then there's going to be stalls in it because as that moisture wants to hang on, that's where it's that it's already hitting that template, 165, 175 degrees. That's where it's hanging out the longest. And it can happen anywhere between 150 and 170. And you're probably rapid in those ranges too because that's when the outside starts looking good. And um, so I, I really think it's not really – a big problem at all because in the, it would be a problem if say you got an eight pound butt and it's taking you 16 hours to cook it and you think it's stalled out well that's, that's not it that's that's a heat tip you didn't your temp was way off it wasn't the meat yeah you know it was the tip of the grill somewhere but just saying i mean don't get caught up watching those temps that's the best advice i can give you because it only matters on the back end when it's done you know you want to really know the temp when it hits 180 that way you can watch it, catch it when it gets off. You don't care what it's doing between, you know, room temperature and 180 degrees because it wrapped by color. And usually, I mean, I've had, I, you know, I've wrapped and just about every time I can tell you what the internal temperature is when I wrap by looking at the color on it. So that's just, just, that just comes with doing yeah, it. Yeah, yeah, it does. And most, I mean, it's, I guarantee it's going to be between 150 and 175 degrees somewhere. But usually, I mean, usually it's about 165, 168. And that's, you know, after four or five hours, you know, in the smoke port, but, at yeah. 250. That's, that's just typical stuff that you'll learn the more you do. A lot of people, you know, they want to put the probe in since so they put the meat on and watch it climb. And at first it's climbing really fast. You know, it's easy to get those temps. But then as you get there, it starts plateauing out. And stops and stops and it's just like, man, this thing something's wrong. It's not yeah. going anywhere. And they start messing with it and opening it. Yeah, they start opening it, checking it. Because you got to think, it's climbing. You probably open it, see if something's wrong. I mean, it, you let the heat out. You set yourself back. Yeah, yeah. Oh, yeah. Worst thing I ever did was, you know, put thermometers on stuff. <laughs> Most of them are not accurate. And then people go crazy over them. I mean, yeah. heck, that sells certain. I know, I know, I got a buddy. Mike that makes uh, drums and just because he started putting a little thermometer on it, it started increasing his sales. People wanted it. They think, oh, it's got a thermometer. It's got to be good. Well, that's not the case because you shouldn't. I never really cook by those. I mean, you know, some of the grills you can trust, but most of them you got to learn that pit. You got to put a probe in there, see what it is, see how it's cooking, see how long it takes. And that comes, you know, just with learning what you got. So another question that we get a lot, every time they cook chicken, skin is rubbery and tough. Well, you need to cook a chicken at higher temps. That's a, that's something that, you know, I used to, oh, we're going to cook chicken at 225, and it's going to be moist and juicy, and you can't bite through it. It's like eating, you know, tire. Because, I mean, you know what I mean? The texture yeah. is chewy. It's it not, is. It's you can't bite through it. Chicken is way, is much better cooked over 300 degrees. And, heck, even at, you know, 375, it's really good. It's a faster cook. If you want to get some smoke on it, put some smoke on it at the beginning. You know, let it get a little smoke and then crank that temp up and get that skin done. Because it's got chicken, the fat's right underneath that skin. It's like, you know, a layer of it. And you have to render that to make that skin bite through texture. I mean, it has to be gone. And that's what makes chicken moist, all that fat rendering down. And, I mean, if, I guarantee you, if you put your chicken on and crank the temps up on it, your skin will turn out right. It's simple as that. You can also make sure the skin's really, really dry. Oh, yeah. And spray it with cooking spray I'm, before you put it on. I'm going to tell that you. That helps. Yeah. yeah. Oh, yeah. That, that does help. Get the moisture off of it and then having a little bit of oil on it because as that oil heats up at those high temps, it fries a little bit. And, <laughs> and I'm going to tell you the exact proof of this. 
is an easy way to prove it. Just old-fashioned Weber kettle, one of those vortexes, and put you some wings around it. And watch what those high temps do to those chicken wings. It is, you know... It's, it's the closest it's like thing the, you can get to crispy. Yeah, it's like a barbecue air fryer. You know, you see those things <laughs> that people are cooking the stuff in the air fryer and stuff? Yeah. That's what that vortex does with that heat coming down. And it makes them crispy. The skin's perfect. There's no fat left. They're juicy. And, you know, is it barbecue? Well, it's cooked over fire. Hey, my, I don't know what barbecue to, <laughs> yeah. you know, it is to everybody. To me, it is. It's cooked outside over fire on the grill. Yeah, it's barbecue. Well, you, it, the flavor on them is awesome, too. I love them. Yeah. I, love it. I, mean, I love chicken like that. And, in fact, uh, I was going to talk about it at the end, but the, this week's recipe that I'm thinking about doing, I'm going to recreate like a, a grilled Nashville hot chicken. I'm going to do some thighs on the vortex and then make my Nashville hot sauce and all that. And, uh, man, I'm, I haven't done it yet, but I've been doing wings on the vortex. And I said, I'm going to try to crisp up some thighs. So, I love thighs. You hate thighs. Well, I'm, you don't hate them. I'm doing this for you. <laughs> <laughs> I appreciate that. Yeah. I love Nashville hot chicken. Yeah. love chicken thighs. This yeah. recipe is for me. Yeah. Do. So well, we have some more questions? Yeah, just a few. So you're cooking ribs, you smoked them, you've wrapped them, and now you're not quite sure where to pull them. You know, what? how do you know when they're ready to pull out of that wrap? Uh, well, You want them tender, yeah, but you I, don't want them completely falling apart. It depends. Cause see, some people eating at home, they like to fall off the bones. Well, but, but I'm going to tell you this. Believe it or not, ribs and pork done are done. Pork butt are done about the same time. So is brisket. All of it's done about the same time. It's going to be from 195 to about 205 internal, somewhere in that range. Now, I'm not one that normally takes a probe tip of a rib, but you can. There's no reason why you can't stick your thermometer in between the bone, make sure you're not on the bone, and take it up to about 200 degrees. I guarantee it's going to be done. I mean, it was done at 165. But it's going to be tender. The bone, I mean, if you want it falling off the bone, go up to 204, 205, uh, you know. Well, what's some ways of checking that don't involve probing? Probing. Um, easiest way, this is what I teach everybody in class. Take the ribs out, open the full. You kind of do a little toothpick test where you get a, a toothpick, stick it in there, see how it feels. It should go in soft, little no resistance. You should kind of lift the slab up, grab the bones, and see if they're starting to pull away from the meat. You should see a uh, drawback. There should be about, I mean, I'm not going to say put a ruler on it, but I like a good, you know, half inch of bone sticking out. It looks good. Appearance looks good on them. But the drawback is a good indicator that you've rendered the meat. You know, the, the what's left is cooked down on the ribs, tightened up a little bit, you know. That's what the drawback is. Um, those are the best tell, telltale signs. Drawback, bone pull. If you can take that bone, it feels like it's going to twist in that socket where it's sitting in that meat. It's done. If you um, don't get a twist, wrap it back get a, up. Yeah, well, I mean, it's, I'm not talking about turn it, you know, clockwise. Yeah. Just give it and, like you were going to. Give it a little fake twist, I guess, you know, <laughs> and see if it, it feels like you can spin it around. If you spin it around, more likely it's really done if it spins. <laughs> but, you know, you got to have some resistance there. Another easy test is pick it up and just see how it sags. When I turn a slab of spare ribs over, I pick them up and let them haul, haul on their own weight, you know, you kind of support four or five ribs and let the back calf fall off your hand. And if that meat starts to break right where it's falling, those ribs are done. So those are all good tenderness tests. But um, If they're still tough, wrap them back yeah, up. Yeah, just close them back up, put them back in there. 
Close check another check in another 15, 20? Mm, probably half hour, yeah. Half 15 hour. minutes, 30 minutes. I mean, it, they're going to be to a point to where you need to watch them pretty close because you can get them overdone. But the great thing is if we're talking cop ribs, it's more important to not overcook them. But if these are eating ribs, I don't know anybody that don't. I mean, anybody that's just eating ribs, they always tell you, oh, this is the best ribs I've ever had. They're falling off the bone. They yeah. like them. That <laughs> I don't know what it is. To me, I like a rib with a little bite to it. I'm more about a 198 to 200 internal temp, like I would say. I mean, fall off the bones when we're like 205, 206. Don't take them up to 212. <laughs> <laughs> you will just, you won't have anything left. You'll have the bones laying eyes, there. Yeah. yeah, you can take them out. The bones will just be left. They're boneless at that point. You can make you a big rib. Yeah, but they get dry. You lose all yeah, your moisture. Yeah, they do. There comes a point where you lose all the moisture in them. Well, I think, you know, we've gotten a pretty good start on that. We might come back to this subject later on. You know, the questions are really good, I think, because yeah. uh, we answer, people probably don't realize, we answer a ton, ton of questions. We do. If That's we haven't we spend, answered your question, we're, we're going to get to it. We spend the majority of our day. I wouldn't say majority. We try to clock up, get 30 minutes to an hour every day answering questions. way more than that. <laughs> I spend way more than that on my phone doing it. Yeah. I mean, it's constant. I mean, I, I mean, my phone's like my office. I mean, yeah. I'm, I'm on and answering Facebook questions or Instagram questions or Twitter questions. I don't scroll through the YouTube video questions very often I because know. there's God, godly amounts of them. We Those try to answer to the questions off the video we released that week. Yeah, I like for it when people answer the questions for me on the yeah. YouTube. So if, if y'all see something and you know the answer to it, you're reading the YouTube comments. Help somebody else. Go ahead and help them out. Throw yeah. some advice at them. And, you know... If they're being nasty, just ignore them. Yeah, that's what we do. But, that, you know, Q&A is what's about how you learn. Mm-hmm. That's why it's good. And that's um, I, I like to have places. I, I like to bounce questions off people if I don't know stuff. So I think there's no bad questions. We, we, I say that when I start all my classes. If you don't know the answer to it, then it's a valid question. I don't care how basic or how simple or how dumb you think it is. Ask it because once you know, you, you know, if you ask it again, you got a problem. <laughs> <laughs> so this goes on your retention. I got one more for you. This right, I thought this one, one was more. pretty good. This somebody sent this in on Twitter. So the old hickory blue fuse, that's not even an option, right? I don't even does old hickory have fuse? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. So that's out of the question. I'm blown up my old hickory. Okay. Can't it's gone. What are you gonna cook? You can only use what you got on the patio right now. What are you gonna put the ribs on? You gotta cook it all. Ribs, I got what all am I cooking first? You're I gonna cook ribs, it. brisket, pork, chicken. Oh man, really? You gotta do KCBS. You gotta do KCBS with what's on my and a sausage. And a sausage. Well, I'm probably gonna do ribs on one of the pellet grills or the yoder. I'm gonna do ribs on the yoder. I'm gonna do pork butt. You only have to cook one. You don't have to cook multiple. Yeah, with pork butt on an egg. I'm gonna do brisket on the drum yeah. all day long. You're not gonna be, and I would cook it all on the drum if I could. <laughs> if I had time, I'd cook everything on the drum. <laughs> but I'm, I'm gonna cook the brisket on the drum, the chicken. I'm gonna do. I'm gonna go old school and spin it on my <laughs> man. That's some good spinning chicken. We used to, years ago, have Sausage, a fish basket. Cooking it on Traeger. I don't care. Yeah. <laughs> it don't matter. Traeger cooks mean yeah, sausage. Yeah, it's a great sausage. But years ago, um, we used to have a fish basket 
that was actually hooked to a rotisserie on for the Weber kettle. Yeah, it was meant to uh, like cook vegetables, cook fish in, or to grill. You know, you put your feet in there, close it down on it, it's clamped down, it can't go anywhere. And we'd get a really good hot fire in that Weber kettle. There's 17 coals on each side. <laughs> so 34 total coals. And yeah. we put chicken thighs, season up chicken thighs, and put it in this little spinner and spin it. And then dip it and, and glaze it. Um, but that's what we used to do comp chicken on. Heck and we yeah. won several first places. We won some 180s doing spinning chicken. Yeah. But it got to where you could tell the lines in the chicken. Because and the everybody knew we were spinning. Everybody spinning. knew we were spinning chicken. So... You know, you always see the same judges in the same kind of little regional areas. So, anyway, we got away from spinning chicken. But we can We have a, a still recipe really good. That's, yeah, we have a recipe now that wins one several one eighty. Oh yeah. Well, coming up next week, you already talked about that. Nashville hot chicken. We're gonna do it, and I'm thinking about. I'm gonna do a little blue cheese biscuit to really? go with that Nashville hot chicken. Maybe top it with a little honey or something. Are you going to do it in an oven or on the grill? No, it's all, man, what the oven? <laughs> what? <laughs> I don't even know how to turn the oven on. I know how to turn, I know how to turn all the grills on and a few other things. We'll talk about that. That's a different podcast. We, thank gotcha. you. <laughs> <laughs> So thanks for checking it out. Hey, yeah. <laughs> we appreciate everybody listening today. I hope y'all enjoyed the podcast. We're having a lot of fun with these. Um, Shell, where can they find us? You can find Malcolm at Instagram, Facebook, Twitter at How to Barbecue Right. If you want to connect with me, it's Twitter and Instagram, Miss Southern Shell. That's easy as that. And hey, we you know we try to get to those comments and questions and all that. So y'all keep firing at them and keep tuning in, and we'll see y'all next time.